Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read the passage in a moment. Um, I wanted to give some introductory remarks to it first, though. Um, we came to this passage, Matthew 5, uh, 25, 31 through 46, way back on January 1st of this year. It comes up twice in year A of the Revised Common Lectionary, and I'm grateful to have the opportunity to return to it with you this morning on this Reign of Christ Sunday. And we mentioned just briefly in the greetings this morning, Reign of Christ, or sometimes called Christ the King Sunday, or my favorite, the Feast of Christ the King Sunday, because there's food involved with that one. Um, <laughs> Reign of Christ Sunday is always the Sunday before Advent. The reason for this is that it helps us frame Advent as a time to remember that in spite of how long we have to go to see God's kingdom come in its fullness and its glory, that it has begun. It has begun to come on earth with the coming of Jesus. And it reminds us that the baby in the manger is destined to be the king and judge of the universe. That, that seed is there in the season of Advent. And as we will see next Sunday, the Advent texts cry out on behalf of, of all human beings of our need for our world to be ruled by a king who embodies and enacts mercy, justice, and peace in his rule. And because not all human beings cry out for a king like this, that's an understatement. Not all human beings cry out for a king like this, a king like Jesus. And because we ourselves cry out for a king like Jesus inconsistently, at best, and always imperfectly, because of that, we come together as God's people to call each other back to this very basic commitment that we would cultivate in ourselves through God's Spirit, cultivate the desires for the right things. Cultivate the desires for the world to be as Jesus wants the world to be. That we would long for justice. That we would long for peace. Long for mercy. And that we would organize our lives in such a way that we can win everyone to this vision for what Jesus promises. That's why Christ the King Sunday. Now, I want to stop just a moment because that was a lot, okay? Um, I want to stop and, and, and ask ourselves this question. Are we asking God's Spirit to show us where we do not long for the things that Jesus longs for? We're asking God's Spirit to show us in our lives what we need to be longing for in ourselves, in our communities. Are we asking that Jesus would enable us to be a neighbor to all people, 
even if that neighbor is someone that we perceive to be an enemy. I'll tell you what a good prayer for me every day is. I'll just offer it to you as an example, not as a triumph, because surely anybody who knows me or who is related to me knows that I do not embody what I long for in this prayer as perfectly as I want to or as I will one day when Jesus enables me to. But we pray because we want to pray for God to make us into the people that God wants us to be. We might flourish as God has designed us to be. So a good prayer for me every day, just for example, would be, and often is, to ask God to give me the longings, the longings in my heart that will help me be a good friend, a good dad, a good husband, a good neighbor, a good pastor, and the like. That's the reason for Christ the King Sunday to remind us that right out of the gate when we think about the promise that Jesus' kingdom has already begun, albeit smallly in our midst, to remind us right out of the gate that we stand in the world for desiring for Jesus to be king, for cultivating those desires and how we live, how we are with other people. Well, it is this king who is the judge of all people, of all the people of the earth. And we meet this king in this passage from Matthew this morning, story, parable of the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his throne of glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And, And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You are accursed, depart from me, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me, naked and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me and these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. 
I dare to say, thanks be to God for the gospel. I'm going to try to convince you of why this is part of the gospel, this parable that ends in this amazing picture of judgment uh, in a moment. But I feel the need to stop and pray again. God, we've just read your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, that we would open our ears, that we would hear the gospel. In Christ's name, amen. When we, uh, when we looked at this passage so many months ago, I encouraged us to welcome Jesus' language around judgment and to see judgment as an aspect of the gospel, the good news of God's coming kingdom. We offered the insight of Anna Case Winters, love her little commentary on Matthew, by the way. We offered this, this insight that she says that in order to think about the relationship of God's judgment to the whole of what God is doing in the world, what God is seeking to accomplish, namely the salvation of the world, that we ought to think of God's judgment as always ordered towards redemption. Always ordered towards redemption. In other words, we should learn to think of judgment as an aspect of the gospel. The good news that God is at work to redeem the whole world. Note that the king, the king in the parable summons the nations. That is a God-sized project. And we have a hard time wrapping our heads around it. Well, it's a good thing God is God, and we are not. <laughs> because God doesn't have a hard time wrapping his head around it. Um, to do justice to the vision of God and the work of God in the world, we must see that redemption is not simply about our individual relationships with God, but the relationships that we have with people, too. Miroslav Fof puts it this way, we cannot be fully saved unless we are reconciled, not only with God, but with each other. From this it follows that the undiluted experience of salvation in the world to come must include social reconciliation. In other words, the redemption that God is up to, the redemption that God is going to accomplish, is going to somehow result in the restoration of all things, of all people, of all lived lives. I think about that. That is a God-sized project. And this is sobering language here, to be sure. This, this, this language is straight out of the Old Testament. Day of the Lord kind of language. Okay? Uh, the day of the Lord comes, and there are all kinds of apocalyptic symbols attached to it. Uh, there's fire, and, you know, the... The, the, the sun turns dark and, you know, the moon is eclipsed, all that sort of thing. And that language is there because judgment language is, a meant, is meant to arrest us. Judgment language is meant to remind us that what we do in life matters, that you can do things, that one can do things, and that groups of people can do things and that nations can do things, that leaders can do things that destroy 
themselves and destroy other people. Judgment language is there to remind us that this world belongs to God and that every enemy of human flourishing in this world will be opposed by God for the good of humanity, for the good of human beings. That's why we say that judgment language, that judgment itself is an aspect of the gospel, but it's always ordered towards redemption. So I invite you, when you see it in this parable, for instance, you know, the language about hell at the end here, this is very familiar language to Jesus. This is Old Testament language. As I mentioned just a minute ago, this is day of the Lord kind of language. But it's a message not for people to think about at the end of time, but for people to think about while they're hearing it, right? So when does the day of the Lord appropriate to think about? And when, when should you be arrested by the images attached to the day of the Lord? Should you live in fear of the day of the Lord coming one day and just kind of hope that you end up on the right side of things? That's not how judgment language works in Scripture. The day of the Lord is now. Right now. When Jesus tells this story about how God is at work in the world and what God opposes and what God approves of, that's when the day of the Lord is happening, when people hear the language, right? So for us today, we hear the language, today is the day of the Lord. And the judgment language is certainly there to arrest us, to sober us, to make us realize that what we do in life has consequences, but it's not there to frighten us. It's there to drive us to rely upon Jesus to enable us to live in such a way that we are the ones that are favorably surprised, the sheep, right? So, we need to make friends with the judgment language in the Bible. Submit ourselves to judgment. This is a fundamental part of becoming who God made us to be. Namely, those people who embody Christ's self-giving love and who are then able to live in a state of shalom with one another. In the passage before us this morning, I just want to unpack it a little bit more for you. Um, like every other judgment passage, Christ the King judges us by speaking the truth to us about what is righteous and unrighteous in order to warn us away from unrighteousness and woo us towards righteousness. So what does a good and righteous life look like? It is a life characterized by showing mercy to the vulnerable. Jesus says here that when people come face to face with him, that they will see the whole of their lives in light of how they treated powerless people at the margins of society. That is because Jesus makes solidarity with the weak, the vulnerable, those at the margins, so much so that he says that caring for them and loving them well is the same thing as caring for him and loving him well. 
when people come face to face with Jesus and we look into his face and we ask God's Spirit to show us how it is that we're living in this world, we will sometimes, perhaps many times, be brought up short because we will see that we did not go to Jesus in Jesus' presence with the weak and the vulnerable. Again, this is not... So this, this day of the Lord language at the end sometimes makes us think that the main idea of this parable is about what happens at the end. It's not. That's not how apocalyptic language works in Scripture. We're to look at Jesus' face every day in light of this parable, in light of where Jesus says Jesus is. And we're to seek the power of the Spirit to live in the way that makes us go out to meet Jesus among the poor, the homeless, the prisoners, the migrants, to seek, to pray, and to do all that we can to bring our own resources and imaginations and influence to bear on finding peaceful solutions in the world to break the cycles of violence. Left to our own devices, we just don't think like this. This is, again, I have a broken record here. But again, this is why judgment language is in, in the Bible. Judgment language is to order your life towards redemption, to order my life towards redemption. Judgment language is not there to scare you about hell. It's to frighten you and arrest you about who you might be becoming if you do not submit your life to the one who loves you the best, the one who knows you the best, the one who loves your neighbor the best and wants to enable you to love your neighbor the best. That's why it's there. Left to our own devices. We don't think that like this. We need the, if you will, the shock of the language in order to shock us into thinking like this every day of our life, right? We don't think like this on our own. That's why the parable is told. It's a little bit of a sneaky literary move here. But that's why the parable is told the way that it is, from the angle that it's told. Notice that, that on Judgment Day, it's not just the goats that are surprised that loving the vulnerable is the same as loving Jesus. The sheep are surprised too. <laughs> they, what? That's where you were? That little literary device is there to remind us that we simply do not make these decisions under our own power or under our own light. We need God's power and God's light in order to live in the way of the righteous that's portrayed in this parable. We like to think that we would love Jesus wherever we find him, but the surprise is where the righteous king is to be found. Where the righteous king is to be found. Um, Many people um, uh, I rely on, you know, who are sort of my, my teachers in residence in my Kindle <laughs> or in my Google Play. One of them I mentioned earlier, Anna Case Winters, one of them Miroslav Foff, uh, around this passage in particular, and one of them Klein Snodgrass, who um, wrote this wonderful, I, we've mentioned it before here, this 
wonderful tome on the parables. It's like this thick, maybe that thick. It's not that thick on my Kindle, but it is in the hardbound version. Um, and uh, Klein, uh, he preached here one time, so I feel like I can call him Klein. Uh, he became also um, on friendly terms with Aaron Keeker, who's one of our, our members here. Um, at Grace, and who's a New Testament professor, among other things, and and Aaron told me that um, I think I got the story straight, so I can tell it to you. Um, he met Klein one time at a Starbucks in the Loop, and uh, and a homeless person was was being spoken to unkindly and harshly, and Klein, uh, according to Aaron, stood up and intervened for him. You know, it's kind of nice to. You know, hear a story like that, somebody who writes about these things, you know, actually spontaneously um, doing those things. Anyway, it's not in my notes, but I remembered it somehow when we were going through this. Um, so what to make of this? I do think that it's important to say as we head towards the end here, um, that this story is told with the full knowledge and understanding that the people who are hearing it, like us, are a little bit of sheep and a little bit of goat, right? All of us. Um, ongoing redemption is only going to be completed when we're 100% sheep. Judgment reveals who we are responding to that knowledge and repentance and openness to change, that's the mark of redemption at work. And that's the way that we think about judgment order towards redemption, right? Because when we see ourselves not as who we should be, we rely on the grace of God for forgiveness and for a re recapitulated fresh start. It's not painless, but it's good. Our world needs hope and a way of talking about hope that aligns with the patterns of living that will be the only acceptable patterns of living in the world to come. On this Reign of Christ Sunday, we put one another on notice and anyone who has ears to hear that the just King, Jesus, summons all people to order their lives according to the needs of the least of these. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.